I'm Dr. Lara Devgan. I'm a plastic surgeon in New York City, the CEO of Scientific Beauty, and of course, a major beauty enthusiast. You are listening to Beauty Bosses, where we chat with fellow industry leaders who are shaping beauty, fashion, wellness, and all things pretty. Hi everyone, I'm so excited about today's episode of Beauty Bosses. We have two awesome women in the office for the podcast today. We have Elizabeth Schaefer and Lizzie Brockoff, who are the co-founders of this really cool new app called Mass. Thanks for having having us. Okay, thanks for being here. So tell us what Mass is. So Mass is a new shopping platform that we just launched in November, and it's really aimed at cutting through the clutter of online shopping right now. Lizzie and I both have backgrounds in e-commerce, and we just noticed that um, there's so much noise out there. There's a lot of sponsored content. There's a lot of inauthentic content, and we wanted to create a space where people could ask and answer questions about products and know that they're highly credible. Yeah, because I see all of this stuff with, especially on Instagram and uh, social media, I see all this stuff that is what seems to me to be clearly fake sponsored content with someone cheesing next to like a flat tummy tea or whatever and you just don't feel good about it being real. So I really like this idea. Great. Yeah, no, it's something we noticed, you know, we'd been working in e-commerce, speaking to customers for a long time. And what we started to notice, it was, you know, a lot of our customers were saying like, I'm not sure, you know, which sources of guidance I can trust. Like I look at Instagram, there seems to be a lot of like hashtag ad. I'm like browsing on Amazon, you know, that I don't know if it's a real or a fake review. So it was definitely a trend that like we noticed personally as shoppers, but also noticed our customers saying the same thing. So the whole premise of Mass, if I'm summarizing this correctly, is that users will suggest different cool products and things for their friends and answer and ask questions about those products. And the deal is that it's free from paid content. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Um, You know, I can walk you through at high level what happens on the app. We'd love to get you on there as well. (laughs) So when you come on on board onto the app, basically what you do is select people that you want to follow. So particular friends that you're interested to see their recommendations. And when you dive into the experience, you'll see a feed of recommendations, but that's, you know, recommendations posted by the people you selected to follow. So it's really relevant, you know, people that you trust and people whose opinions you're really interested in. And you can basically ask questions to your network. So maybe your friends or the entire community and they'll answer with their authentic uh, recommendations from their personal experience. One thing that I worry about with an app like this is that even though the whole premise is that it's not sponsored content, doesn't it seem like a slow, slippery slope into sponsored content? Well, I think that's what people are used to seeing on social media, but I don't think it has to be that way. Um, and we know that you know our users are using the app because it's credible and because it's authentic and investing in that and really moderating the platform um, is so important to us and so important to the brand. And so we you know we have like guards in place against going down that slippery slope. I think I understand what why are the they guards. Do it. Um, so we have a moderation platform. We're looking at all the posts online. We're not out to get people. Yeah. I think if we see something that, you know, raises a flag or, you know, maybe a little, there may be a conflict of interest behind it. You know, what we do is we reach out to users and we say, hey, like, we love that you're using the platform. We love your recommendations. Just, so you know, these are our community guidelines. 
um, and we didn't feel like this, you know, met those community guidelines, this particular recommendation, but we'd love to hear other about like other categories that you're interested in. The thing that I find so challenging about this world of like, it's kind of like the concept of micro influence, right? Where yeah, you yeah. suggest stuff to your friends and you're that great sweater or the like really good hair product and, and then your friends are interested and they want to get it or, you know, even if it's your acquaintance or a friend of a friend or even someone who's a little bit more removed. So the thing that I find so challenging with that is that let's say someone gets really big on your app and they're extremely influential in their purchase patterns. They're going to start getting sent a bunch of free crap from every company. (laughs) And they're like, people are going to create a conflict of interest for them. It's just sort of like the natural history of life. So yeah. how do you get around that? Because I feel I feel that way all over Instagram. Yeah. Honestly, and yeah, I understand why you feel this way on Instagram because I think it's just um, brands have become so clever and like so they've really you know like know how to reach strategy. out to these. Yeah. Um, they know how to reach out to these people. I think. Um, we don't claim to be perfect and we're definitely learning as we go. And I think if we start to see situations like that, we'll definitely have to step in and, and try to moderate to the best of our ability. And, you know, like I said, we don't have all the answers figured out right now, but it's such a core part of our brand. And like I said, what our consumers value us for that it'll always be a top priority for us. Okay. Let's change gears a little bit. How did you guys meet? Uh, we met when um, I was at Mode Operandi and I was leading product, and Lizzie came in for an interview for a product manager. And That's I knew hired me. I hired Lizzie, yeah. yeah. Best decision ever, right? Best decision ever. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't okay. think either of us knew at the time that that was going to, you know, how it's all going to. How long ago was that? Six years ago now, yeah. Okay, wonderful. And so, what took you from Mode Operandi? Um, to hear. Can you tell us about your path a little? Yeah, I mean, the the history is like Elizabeth left uh, Moda and actually got a great opportunity. She was connected uh, with Mark Laurie, who at the time had this like stealth e-commerce startup that no one knew anything about, but he's such a seasoned entrepreneur. And I think you obviously jumped at the opportunity and yeah. Elizabeth was number 14 at Jet before you know anyone knew about Jet. And about two months in, I got a, a phone call and it was Elizabeth saying, I need some help. <laughs> and yeah, I jumped at the opportunity as well. You know, Mark's a really seasoned leader. He's had an amazing exit. He's like, you know, a pioneer in e-commerce. So that opportunity for us was really exciting. Um, you know, we we grew a lot at Jet. It was like, you know, a startup on in acceleration, basically. You know, within two years, it was acquired for $3 billion plus dollars. So that was really a training ground for us. And once Jet got acquired, I think we were both thinking about, you know, what's the next step? Um, and, you know, for me, I definitely felt, you know, if I was going to do another startup, I wanted to do it for my own idea, you know, solving my own problem. You work so hard. You know, we'd been in the startup trenches yeah. for a long time and that was sort of my desire to do my own thing. And I, you can speak to your own desires there. Did but. you... Um did you get equity from your experience at Jet? Um, yeah, I mean, I think we had a typical <clears throat> startup package there. Okay, um, so that's amazing. Is that what you used to help start Mass? 
It definitely helped. <laughs> question. Yeah. It did. It helped. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of planning behind, you know, leaving our full-time stable jobs and, yeah. you know, raising our first round. And that was, you know, the security that allowed us to like, you know, take this big leap. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize that with starting a startup is that you there's a lot of fi- personal financial planning that has to go behind it um, because you often don't take a salary for, until you get some funding and you've got to be able to self-fund for a little bit. So, um, you know, I think that that was it helped. Definitely definitely. Helped, yeah. yeah, Yeah. no, that's important because a lot of people who listen to this podcast are either entrepreneurs or they're thinking about it or yeah. that's kind of their side hustle. And some of the practical pearls, like get your own financial house in order before you make this huge leap, that, that's really important. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, like yeah. a whole family decision. Did yeah. you guys get your families on board? Because I know you both have young families right now. Right? We did, but that was like a, like this started like two and a half years ago, even though we only launched in November. Like it took a good six to nine months, I feel like, to get my husband on board. Yeah, it's a big decision for the whole family. And I think even when you're planning, you don't really understand what lies on the other side until you're on the other side. Yeah. Okay, so you left your positions at Moda and then Jet, and you guys knew you wanted to go into business together. You got along well. Yeah. And how did you come up with the idea for Mass? Um, Well, so Lizzie and I, you know, when we knew that we wanted to do a startup together, we were thinking about, like, where does our skill set lie? Where do we have, like, where are we, like, uniquely able to solve a problem, like a customer pain point? And I think that's another thing for when I talk to, you know, younger people who want to start a startup, like, often the advice I give them is, like, you've got to have what they call founder market fit. Like it's a term the VCs use, but you've got to bring something to the table that other people might not have um, you know, such a unique perspective on. So we were looking at the shopping space and, you know, we just heard this over and over again, um, that people were overwhelmed by the amount of choice online. It was taking so long to make a decision on what to buy, that there was so much inauthentic content that they couldn't trust reviews anymore. Um, and then Lizzie and I experienced this first time, firsthand when we had babies, we had babies one day apart and had to put together our baby registry. And I think a couple of those just like life experiences and career experiences combined really inspired Mass. I really like that. Um, can you, I know you guys just launched, so you have, <laughs> you have babies at home, but you also have yeah. a baby in the form of a new company. So your company is a month, two months old, right? A month yeah. and a half old. Yeah. Um, ha- ha- what is the scope of the company at this time? Or like, can you give us a sense of, like where you are in the in the scheme of things. We're babies still. Um, I think we we have a small team of seven. Um, we're still working out of a co-working um, space. We have like a small office, but we're definitely still very much a small operation. Um, we've been really, really um, thrilled with the, I guess, the response to what we're putting out there. I think we've had a lot of interest and a lot of traction um, and a lot of engagement from our users, which has been very heartening and very rewarding over the past month and a half. And right now we're just really focused on marketing and scaling and how do we get the word out and how do we grow the user base from here? What's your marketing strategy? Well, it's a test and learn strategy. <laughs> okay, I like it. Yeah, I mean, I think with marketing, every every company that I've worked for, I don't know, Lizzie, if you agree, but there's always like different things that work and you have to just try out like a bunch of different tactics to figure yeah. out what's going to work for this. Internally, um, we call it 
uh, like the bullseye approach. Like we look at the different channels that, you know, we've seen traction in around launch um, or we have hypothesis could be like a good source of user acquisition. And as Elizabeth said, like run a bunch of tests in each of those and narrow down which of those channels are the ones we really like want to go after. Internally, we call it, you know, finding the vein, so to speak. Yeah, like that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess you could relate. I can relate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you like poke around a little yeah, bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but we're testing everything from like social campaigns to uh, like search optimization for our website to ads. Yeah, like viral features, like yeah. sharing content out of the app that's really valuable as well. Yeah. Maybe you guys can speak to something that we get asked frequently um, of guests on the podcast, which is, how do you know if you're starting a business and you need to get outside funding or if you should mm-hmm. try to self-fund and try to just bootstrap your way into it? And how did you guys make the decision that you needed to get funding before starting? Yeah, I think we wanted to build a VC-backed business from the start. So we sort of crafted a lot of the strategy around that. And I think that's like a very specific route and it's not the right route for everybody. And why did you want to start a VC-backed business? I think we felt like we wanted to we wanted to have the funding to be able to hire the engineers and the engineering talent that we were used to working with um, and our background was in um, VC-backed startups. Um, And also just from a planning perspective, like, you know, the timeline um, that we sort of set for ourselves and if you back out of that in terms of like the goals of like what we wanted to build by when and, you know, what it takes in terms of like people that you've got to hire, you know, the numbers just came out that, you know, it was definitely going to be, you know, an outside funded venture. And there's pros and cons to doing it that way. I think it's like when you're VC backed, you have like insane goals. You have to hit very big growth numbers immediately. Um, And it's a lot of pressure and it's not necessarily the route that like everybody should go down. And I think there's a lot of people who, you know, maybe they want to do it, but they don't want to have like a board and they don't, who are like on their backs, or they don't want to have like investors who are looking for like, okay, when are you going to raise series A? Like, what's your valuation going to be? Um, and I think going down a friends and family funding route makes a lot of sense for a lot of businesses. Um, so yeah, I think it really depends on the business that you want to start and, and the lifestyle <laughs> as well, if that makes any sense. Um, you know, I think I think it, startups can take up your whole life. Um, so you just got to think about the type of people you want to have around you for that. How do you figure out when to stop working? Because a startup, <laughs> and I, I like wrestle with this, so I'm actually asking, I don't know. I'm asking my us? own yes, <laughs> so you guys can give me some life advice. But how do you figure out, if you have a business you're really passionate about that is kind of like, in the best sense of the word, a black hole, like you can dive yeah. in, how do you decide when to stop working and like do something else? I think, I mean, it's a very challenging question when you've got your own business because there nothing's you know ever come you know there's always something more to do I think having a kid or like a young toddler does and and a family as well like does help put some like barriers in because you know family there's nothing more important than family and making sure you're present and invested in your family as well so I think that is a bit of my like okay it's like family time now it's time to put down the 
keyboard. Yeah, I remember having to learn that at Jet because there's always more that you can do, but you have to be okay with like leaving work at the end of the day with a giant to-do list that isn't done and being like okay with that. And that's that's not easy. Oh my gosh, I know. I'm (laughs) still learning that. I'm going to have to practice that a little bit more. Um, What did you guys think you were going to do when you were growing up, when you were like in high school and college? Oh my god. Oh, well, I, I know what I see. I've got an answer here. I, <laughs> I thought I was going to be a, a veterinarian. Oh, nice. Yes, and I, I actualized that. So I actually am like a doctor, an animal doctor. Oh so, my god, yeah, how interesting. My undergraduate was in veterinary science. I was one of those girls that like loved horses, competed, and you know, got a good score at school. Lizzie, and, you know, Lizzie can perform surgery on racehorses. Oh, this was her, like, first career. So that was what I thought I was going to do. Um, but, like, ultimately, I did do a career transition. You know, I think your childhood passions and the decisions you make when you're, like, 16, 17 are big decisions to make, um, you know, the the life decision for the rest of your career. So, yeah, I mean, I made a career transition, but, I mean, I definitely have valuable, like, worth work ethic learnings from, like, studying such an intense course and... Um, you know, I think it's it's in my personality to like complete things, and I did. But um, yeah, ultimately did a career transition. And how about you? Did you have any idea that you were going to end up in this position? No, I was not aware of like the tech startup space, product management at all when I was growing up, or even when I was at university. I only learned about it afterwards, and actually when I was in high school because. Um, you know, I think similar to Lizzie, I did like, I was like a math and sciences girl. Like I couldn't, I'm not really not a great humanities person. <laughs> I was never great at writing. Um, but I could do math and sciences. So I thought I was going to be a doctor. Um, and the way that it works, I grew up in the UK. You apply for your major when you're applying to university, when you're applying to college, so you have to choose your major when you're like 18 and three weeks before the application was due, I called my dad and I was like, I really don't want to be a doctor. And I just knew deep down, like I just wasn't a doctor. I think mm-hmm. it's like takes a really, my husband's a doctor actually. Um, but oh, I think well. it takes an amazing personality and you have to love it. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, there's like a type of person who's a doctor and I was not it. <laughs> So I changed, I changed my major, and I, I ended up studying politics, philosophy, and economics. Um, but I had no idea what I was going to do after. That's so interesting. Yeah, you kind of never know what path you're going to end up on, and mm-hmm. you have to keep rolling with it. And okay. anybody who does at that age is like, I mean, it hardly ever pans out that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, it's hard. I, you know, you think of all of the things that are different between now and age 17 it's yeah. sort of a miracle that people are expected to declare their life at that time I know that was definitely the experience that I had like making that life decision at 17 when you you're like haven't experienced that much is a it's a big call yeah totally um so what are your goals for mass where, what are your next steps and where do you see it going Well, like I said, I think the next step is, you know, we've created this product that we're really proud of. I think that, you know, we've had great initial early response from it. We really want to grow the user base. We really want to get the word out about it. And we want to continue to iterate. Like Lizzie and I, the way that our process works is we're very, very focused on the user and the customer. And we have focus groups all the time. And we're constantly speaking to users to just make it better and better. Who is your typical user? Yeah, I mean, our typical user is sort of, you know, millennials, so 25 to like 35 up to 40, um, and they're 
typically in a, in a city at the moment um, and you know they're really interested in like beauty fashion home and actually baby they're like the top recommended categories and we definitely skew female at the moment as well yeah and I would say it's a mix between um, we have a lot of um, young moms on the app who you know need advice on the best products for their babies there's so much you have to buy during that phase of life but we also have a lot of young women without kids who are just be- self-described beauty addicts um, and love making recommendations love researching products love sharing that so um, that's definitely a profile that we have but yeah. beauty is like a global thing the, the young mums or the mums want you know the, the latest and greatest in beauty as well so you know so, we're yeah. it's a, a top category how do you differentiate though like let's say you have some beauty addict YouTubers and <clears throat> even just private citizens like you know cool people yeah. on the app how do you differentiate the ones who are actually going out and posting about their grocery list or their shopping list when they're at a beauty counter from the ones who are getting shipped free products and is there even a way to figure that out because I don't know that the thing that is so confusing today for me about advertising is it's really hard to figure out what an ad is yeah yeah and I think look like I think it's a it's a challenge for us too yeah um we definitely keep an eye on our users who have large followings on other social media platforms that's usually a flag that brands would be targeting them already um and we keep a close eye on what they're posting yeah there's definitely mechanisms for like spotting a fake or paid review which you know as Elizabeth said we're not perfect yet but we definitely watch for it like is one person posting about a particular brand over and over again and then doing more research into that profile as well the other thing on the app is that you essentially build a network of, you know you choose who you want to follow um, so when you post into the feed um, you know it's people within your network that are seeing those recommendations so I mean I think that's like a little bit of a protection mechanism against like someone you know really posting like fake reviews or like paid for a sponsored content how does the business model of mass work like where does the revenue stream come in yeah yeah so right now um it's like a it's an affiliate business so um we take a percentage of you know sales of um the sales generated through the platform i think it's really important to note though that it's um you know, we act as a platform. So Mass has no editorial point of view whatsoever. So it's not like we would ever boost someone's recommendations over another recommendations. The feed is, you know, reverse chronological. It is just the people that you follow. So it's really our users or our merchandisers. Um, at the end of the day, it's our users deciding what they recommend and what gets posted. And we just facilitate the sort of link in the transaction at the end. So you are, are you identifying the brands that the users are posting about and then approaching them? Or are you first, you know, like what comes first, the chicken or the egg? That's kind of what um, I'm trying to understand. Yeah, so we have partnerships with a number of retailers and brands. Um, the way that it works in the experience is when you answer a question, when you're answering somebody's question, you're actually searching our catalog of products. Uh, to find the product that you want to recommend. So say somebody is like asking about the best, you know, like eyebrow shaper or whatever, like Glossier Boybrow is the top recommended. 
product in that you would search our catalog. We have a relationship with Glossier. They give us a direct access to their product feed so you can find the Glossier Boy Brow product and then recommend it from there. And then we have all the information about the link back to Glossier to purchase. What if someone recommends a different eyebrow product that's not in the catalog? Yeah, so we definitely want uh, any user to be able to recommend any product from online. So if we don't have it directly in our product catalog, what we do is allow the user to search online, find that product, and basically what we do is like copy that product and ingest it when they select it and like put it in our catalog. So in future, if someone comes along and wants to recommend it, they can. So yeah, there's no barriers there. We make sure that you know people can recommend anything that they want. Cool. Um, What's your kind of ultimate vision for how you want it to be? Like, let's say you had your yeah. dream scenario. What is Mass going to be? Our dream is to become the first destination that you go to when you're shopping online. Our dream is to basically cut through the clutter and be the first destination when you need a product and you want to cut through the research process um, and you just want to find the right product for you. We want to be the fastest, the least cluttered. Um, yeah, I think that's our goal. Yeah, we want to be, yeah, just people think mass when they've got to go and find that next product. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I would like to close by asking you guys about some of your not ideal experiences in the building of the startup because it's a really great story and, um, <laughs> and I think that you guys are, have already you know, had an amazingly successful launch and first couple of months in existence. But everyone is always wondering, you know, was it always this great? Did you ever have any moments of doubt where you felt like, oh my God, what have I done quitting my stable job? Yes. And like, <laughs> tell us a little bit about, tell us a little bit about like bleak moments where you had to like really find some inner strength. Uh, I think fundraising just drains you. Um... I think fundraising, you hear a lot of no's, and that's part of the process, but when you're in it, it's just so hard. And it, and it was, uh, you know, constant travel back and forth from, like, San Francisco to New York every week for, you know, yeah. a couple of weeks which with a young family, and it's, like, tough, yeah. It, yeah, and I, yeah, so I would say... Um, there was, like, the, there was, like, a really bleak moment <laughs> uh, before when we had been fundraising, and, um, you know, you just, like, hear a lot of rejection, and you hear a lot of no, and you're also, like Lizzie said, you're traveling a lot, and you're not working on the business. You're, like, you can't devote your time to doing both. Like, you're kind of keeping... Um, trying to keep all the balls in the air, but like all the balls are actually not in the air. They're just on the ground and you're like picking them up. But like, it's sort of, um, it's, it's, it was like really, that was like a bleak moment, I would say. Cause you can't run the business and fundraise at the same time when you're pitching and you're fundraising, you have to go into like every single meeting and be on and like act like the investors are asking you totally new questions for the first time when you've heard it like 15 times before. Yeah. So. We also, this was pre-business, but I think like the period before we left yeah. our full-time jobs where, so we worked on this concept during maternity leave together and then went back to our full-time jobs uh, and worked on this as a side project. So weekends and like after work and juggling family, our full-time jobs and pushing the, the side project at that point forward was, you know, a pretty bleak six months, I would say, just yeah. in terms of like trying to execute well on all of those facets. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that makes complete sense. 
Because it's not easy to keep all your cylinders firing at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, well, this has been so fun and interesting, and I thank you so much for being here, and um, I am so excited to hear about what Mass is going to come up with next. Where can people find you guys? You can find us on the App Store. Search for uh, M-A-S-S-E. That's Mass. Great. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you.